the best mentors you'll ever have will be from your dental school because they know you through and thorough. So I think have that contact already installed and I still call my lecturers for different clinical tips and tricks. Welcome to the Dental Head Start podcast. This episode, we're sitting down with someone who really inspires me. He's someone I look up to, and he's also someone who graduated the exact same year as me. It's Dr. Mohit Talani. Mohit and I were lucky enough to do the Young Dentist of the Year Award course with the team at Avenue Dental on the Sunshine Coast, and there we made a bond. From there, I, I almost cannot believe what he has achieved and what he has done for his community, and I think that's what inspires me most. Mohit is really truly embodying the thing most of us say we say we're doing this to help people and he's really making an effort in helping people beyond that single tooth or single situation dentistry he's gone down the education path to do masters in health leadership and now dental public health which will make big changes not not just the single tooth things that we do although those are obviously very very important but also at the same time he's really making an impact in his community and he has rightfully been awarded multiple awards showing that impact he's making. Golden Valley Young Professional of the Year 2017, 2020 Australia Day Outstanding Achievement Award and the Community Leader of the Year Award in 2020. It's that's just a few it's really impressive stuff i think in this podcast you're going to hear his passion i think you'll also hear his advice on how you can make a bigger change and that's something that i want to get behind with the dental head start podcast now i also want to thank you the listeners and the sponsors uh for bearing with us perhaps in this um, recent time i've i've had some you know personal challenges and tragedy as you may be aware of and I really want to thank the team at Dental Head Start for keeping things going smoothly and um, I also I'm excited for what Dental Head Start will be in the future um, we are going to have some new voices we're going to have some new direction and new and inspiring content to help you as students and early dentists becoming better dentists that's the whole point of this so I really hope this makes an impact in the future I'm excited for what we see and we'll keep you in the loop soon if you can hear me lisping, that's because I still am wearing and going through Invisalign. I'm not doing the segments with OrthoRed, but they are still a wonderful supporter of the podcast. Um, and I appreciate them also through this tough time recording the lectures. Um, even with my tough time, I can catch up. It's been fantastic. And of course, if you want to learn aligners, orthodontics, go to orthoed.com.au or check out dentalheadstart.com slash orthoed and get 10% off. I just want to express my gratitude to them and all of the sponsors for Dental Head Start. I will continue to keep you guys updated with what's happening with my Invisalign journey as well. But for now, let's get to the interview with Dr. Mohit Talani. Hi everyone, welcome back to Erica's Corner where I keep you in the loop with everything that's going on. If you've been following us along on social media, you're probably well aware that there's been a lot going on behind the scenes over the last month. It's been hectic to say the least, but you can rest assured that we're working hard on planning the future for Dental Head Start and we'll update you on all the changes that will be happening very, very soon. If you're not already, be sure to follow us on Facebook or Instagram at Dental Head Start so you'll always be in the know of what's going on. Perhaps it goes without saying, but this month, our giving project will be dedicated in honour of Little Asha to help fund and support neonatal care services. We've already raised over $25,000 through the Humpty Dumpty Foundation donation page that David has set up, and through it, we'll be directly supporting the Port Macquarie-based hospital's neonatal special care, as well as many others. If you would like to support the cause, please consider donating. 
You'll find the link in our show notes or on the socials. Thank you all for your ongoing support. We've got big plans ahead and we can't wait to share it all with you very soon. In the meantime, please enjoy this episode with Dr. Mohit Talani. It's that time of year again. Before June 30, we have to renew our indemnity insurance. And when I look for an insurer, I'm looking for someone who's going to be there when I need their help. They're going to act fast and they're going to be by my side so I can practice with confidence. I get all of that from Dental Protection Limited. What I love about them is that they're more than just an insurer. They're actually here to help us, to give us content and support us with medical legal situations and most importantly, help us avoid these situations. The content they produce is the best content out there for from an insurer like them. Renewal notices are out in May. To make sure you get all of these added benefits, sign up by June 30. I can say from personal experience, when you need help, you'll be glad you're with Dental Protection Limited. Thank you, Dental Protection Limited, for supporting me in my career and the Dental Head Start podcast. Dr. Mohit Talani, welcome to the Dental Head Start podcast. Thank you, David. It's my honor and certainly a pleasure. Well, it's actually, it's my pleasure, but it's also like catching up with an old mate. We met back in 2017 during the graduate of the year um, course up on the Sunshine Coast. Um, and it's you're, you're one of those people where you see your stuff over the years and, you know, we catch it up on Facebook, we see something on Instagram. And every time I see you, you're doing something new and you're achieving new highs. So I really, it is my pleasure to be able to explore your story on the podcast and, and get some of your insights and, and learn about what you've been doing. I think this is going to be packed with good information. The first thing I wanted to talk about is something that's clearly very important to you, which is community. Um, you have done so much already for the communities you've worked in. And I want to know like two things. One is why, why do you do that? But then the second thing is what is community to you? Like why is that important? So I think for me, I'll, I'll start with why I did dentistry because that's also linked to the community aspect. And that's because for me, when I was doing my undergrad degree at Sydney University in the medical sciences, I was always interested in talking to people, working with people. And yes, there's various ways to do that. But I felt that with my interest in the health sciences and doing things with my hands and people, I think dentistry stood out to me. So I thought, given that's an amalgamation of all three, and I like to see something from A to Z, which means treatment being done from starting point to finishing point, um, I think dentistry would be the way to go. So prior to my dental degree, I was as I was a mentor at the Australian Indigenous Mentoring Experience Program at Sydney University when it was quite new. So that actually stimulated my interest in the community side of things. And I was trying to work out where the inequities lie in our society. Now, obviously, it's multifaceted, and obviously, there are different levels. But I felt that um, whilst there is education available, whilst there is that information available to um, fill those gaps, uh, from a healthcare point of view, I think there are still those inequities um, from an oral health point of view, which affect general health. So throughout the journey of dentistry, I thought that Yes, I'm learning all these skills, but I want to give back in some way as well so that people who need it the most get it the most. And at the same time, it's accessible to them. Throughout dental school, it was what, what I came across was the fact that a lot of people were saying, oh, dentistry is too expensive. There's a lot of fear barrier. The, the most hated people are dentists. <laughs> and, and each day you tend to hear, oh, no offense, but I don't like you because you're a dentist. So I think it's more so, I think it's inbuilt into the system. And I thought, well, if I can change that, 
whilst addressing the needs, what better way is it than actually giving back to the community? And at the same time, removing the fee barrier, removing the cost barrier, and trying to make community as part of your own and them accepting you. Once that acceptance is there on both the sides, the transition becomes quite easy and the message which you want to deliver, be it any message in healthcare, becomes more easy and accessible to them. So I think that's what drove me to the community side of things in dentistry to begin with. Um, during dental school, I was part of the Rotary Club of Southport, which is the youth version of Rotary. And in that, I held different, different positions. And I think starting from international service director to community director to uh, the president as well, we worked on different projects. And, and the projects which I was used to kept changing. So one was an international focus, there was a local focus, there was an Indigenous youth focus. We ran a project with Gallery, an Indigenous youth organization on the Gold Coast. And I think they approached us via Rotary and said, uh, could you do an oral health message for the children? And I said, well, we can run a workshop, a half a day workshop for them. And then, so I um, worked with a local uh, public health specialist, um, few other dental students when we were dental students and um, we came up with a project idea and then we ran the project with them. Um, outcomes were very notable and very good. Um, and I think children are the way for the future. So I think working with children and giving that simple message is a ripple effect. They can take it back to the families and whatnot. Even if one child learns a new thing, it's good. So I think that sort of instilled the community spirit in me that, yes, we can make a difference from a community point of view. And Wherever there's a need, wherever we find inequities, I think um, I think the response will be good if the acceptance is good. And I think to break those barriers, I thought I'll run those run any of those projects. And I think it started from dental school days. You, you raised some really good points, like the impact on community and the relationship or the perception of dentists in the community's eyes, and all those different stages. They allow dentists as a whole, including yourself, to have a bigger impact. So that seems like a big key driver for you. But I want to dig a little bit deeper. So you, you talked a little bit there about things that you were doing through your undergraduates, um, you know, the medical science, and then through to the dental school, and you were you're involved in these things from an early age, but what's before that like what what then why did you think about public health first instead of thinking about how you could become a better dentist to help that one patient better do you know what i mean like not everyone thinks in that path and it's something that's so important and we actually had um dr matthew hopcraft on in a very similar vein um in making a bigger impact by working on more global things but there's always something that comes right back to the root what about your childhood is that something that was instilled in you by your parents or by your community itself i think yes i would say i think it's from a family point of view that i was always made to believe that um everything in your body matters and your health is in your hands and the way you look after it is also in your hands um given the fact that the ownership lies in your own hands the mouth forms part of your general body and that's the gateway to your general body. Now, if that's not looked after, the other parts won't be looked after. So I think if you've got a house and you've got the door, the door is your mouth. It's the gateway to your house. Now, always whenever there's a festival, if there is a function, you tend to keep your gateways clear. You make your door quite pretty. Same thing goes for your mouth as well. Now, if that's not pretty and obviously there's issues out there, it gives, it gives a perception of what your body is going to be like. And I think because I had that sort of mentality since childhood, I thought, well, keeping that notion that it's not just dental health, it's actually overall health. 
and I want to make an impact. And obviously, it's 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 baby steps, but I think um, tackling from a dental public health approach, I think I wanted to branch out. And I think public health was the way to go for me in terms of the approach. Um, yes, I can do drill, fill, and chill in people's mouth by doing my basic dentistry and hoping that I can make a difference. But I think if I'm, ta- I'm trying to target a larger population, I have to take a macroscopic approach. And the way is public health and in specific dental public health. And hence, the community-oriented approach was the best for me. And I enjoyed that. And I think it just started off through the medical, medical sciences time. And then I streamlined it with my interest down on a piece of paper when I was working out what drives me further. And I was like, well, I want to target this. But how do I target this? Well, I can target this with my dental approach. But at the same time, pure dentistry wasn't enough for me. I thought I wanted to engage in more knowledge because I think if I'm talking with more information in my head, it's not going to go based. And instead, I'll make more contacts, which can help me out as well. And and if I'm delivering projects, I'm collaborating with other healthcare professionals because I think I don't want to be that isolated dentist in one corner. I want to work with other health disciplines and stuff because I think it's a multifaceted approach in, in, in healthcare. And I think that brings out the best outcomes. Yeah, definitely. There's more to it than just the single tooth, even though we need to be doing that as well. And that's why we need, you know, people like yourself. We're definitely, we're going to talk about all these different things. Um, You're someone who, um, from an educational standpoint, you've been nonstop learning um, and we'll discuss that. But also from the community standpoint, the the list of things you've been involved in is um, extensive to say the least. Um, And you've been um, recognized for that as well with many awards that are well-deserved. I'm looking forward to talking about all those different things. I want you to um go back to the beginning tell us so you're saying um medical science first was it and dentistry kind of came up at that point um how did you go down the healthcare path then dentistry what was uni like go through that a bit quickly and then we'll start talking about what you've been doing since my family is a business oriented family so i was i wouldn't say i was a black sheep of the family but i was someone who basically thought that I would want to go into the healthcare side of things. And my family said, you do realize the pathway is long. And I said, yeah, yeah. But I think my interest is working with people, talking with people and doing things differently. And I think um, that's what sort of got me into where I am. Finished year 12 on the Gold Coast, um, got my mark and got a scholarship to come to Sydney. So I said, yes, may as well move to Sydney. So I did that and I took up medical science because I thought, well, if I'm trying to engage into healthcare, I want to I want to be sure what I want to do in healthcare. I don't want to just jump into dentistry or medicine or physio or whatever. Although I did have, funnily, a dental offer at the end of year 12 and a medical offer at the end of year 12, but I thought, I don't think I'm mentally ready for it yet because I think I want want to actually decide what I want to do and know my interests because the last thing I want to do is engage in a degree and I don't like it. And then I think I'm not going to enjoy it throughout my whole life. So I was like, I want to be sure. So I moved to Sydney on a scholarship and then my family moved as well to Sydney and then um, started in medical sciences. So from a clinical point of view, yes, I learned the theory and everything. But then I think throughout those uh, four years, including honours year, which I was doing, I tried to brainstorm what I like the best and where I see myself in five years' time. And then it just came into my head that I, I don't want to see myself in a cubicle job. I want to, <laughs> I want to see myself from a personal point of view, talking to people, uh, going home, doing my things, and doing a bit of study on the side. But at the same time, um, Enjoy appreciating health and making a difference from point A to point B um, whilst um, doing things with your hands. So I was like, well, yes, that is medical and dental both, but I think dentistry would be the perfect for me when I nutted it down to paper. And then 
I think, um, applied back to Griffith University, where I came from originally um, from the Gold Coast and got back in-house into Griffith and moved back up to the Gold Coast and then did my education in dentistry over there. And then and that and that and that was that was an amazing experience. Yeah, it's um, I guess moving as well at the start. You get a bit of that social and um, lifestyle change as well, which is always exciting. You went into you know from medical science into dentistry, but you've always been involved in these uh, what's the word extracurricular or other associations and um, the Rotary you're talking about, um, ADSA you're a big part of. Why early on? Why did you get into those? And then what did that give you? Like, what did you get from those, do you think? I think I, I'm one of those people who likes to learn. And I think um, there is no one correct answer to a treatment or to an approach. I think there's different approaches. And if it generates that outcome, why not? So I think I like to learn from different people's point of view. So in that way, I know that I'm growing. And if one way does not work, there's another way to approach it. So I think throughout a med- uh, medical sciences and throughout dental school, I thought that the best way to learn is through from your seniors, from your lecturers, and through the industry associates because that's the real world out there. And um, and getting through getting into organisations such as the Australian Dental Student Association, which was quite a remarkable part of me uh, when I in my student life. I think I learned a lot because I think there were there were things that I did I would have never done. For example, organising a conference. Now those sort of skills I think come when you've got pressure on your head. So I think me and the colleagues whom I was with, we ran a conference on the Gold Coast, which we've never done. And then I, I heard good things. I didn't go, but I heard some very good things. A few stories. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Well, that, can you well, share some good and uh, maybe other stories? <laughs> yeah, de- definitely. I think um, I think with some of our mutual colleagues, um, we met. An, <laughs> we met an. Well, I went to the Sydney convention in 2012, and I really loved the conference. And I was like, oh. I was sitting in the audience and I was like, well, we can definitely change that. We can add this over here. Mm, we can have streamlined mm. lectures instead of a mono stream lectures. We can do this. We can have more food, better approach to students. And I think we can have um, interfaculty approach and stuff where we can have different disciplines presenting. So 2013 was another convention on the, in Adelaide. And I think that's where you put the bid for the Gold Coast Convention where I said, I want to run it, but I want to run it with a different style where we've got different streams. We've got a very good social program so students can enjoy. So there is that Gold Coast appeal whilst there's a knowledge appeal as well. And we had a new dental school in terms of a new dental health center, which they had made. So I think we put the plug in and we won it. And then when we delivered the conference in 2014, we had a lot of lecturers and some of them have got international, like significant reputation. So I thought, well, we're showcasing our university, but at the same time, it's a good learning experience. And it's what students want to learn. Because often when, as students, when we go to lectures, it's basically quite high end and it's actually going over your head. So I was like, well, we can approach it at different tiers. Like those who want to go and learn the higher end, you can. Those who want to learn the basic stuff, you can. And I think it's tips and tricks sharing. So I think students quite enjoy that. And the feedback that we receive is fantastic. And I think at the end of it, um, we had about 300 students, 300 plus students, including from New Zealand. So that was one of the big convention we ran. And 2015, we ran in Cairns. So I think as the Dental Association president and as um, an outside conference convener, I think I did network with a lot of people and it, it just opened my world to different, different ideas that there is not just school dentistry or university dentistry, there's an industry dentistry. And I think um, the corporates influence it, the people from the uh, machines and uh, chairs and everything, they influence it. So I think there's a lot of um, interplaying between those. 
but it's it's constructive in the sense that you actually learn from them because you you listen to their viewpoint as well. And I think as students, especially in the 21st century where dentistry is evolving with time, you need to know that and those skills. And for example, there's tons of different composite materials out there. Uh, yes, we are trained to use a few, but I think what it instilled in me and I think in my friends as well, and we had a chat about this, was the fact that um, there's not like, I mean, yes, you're learning the basic recipe in dental school, but the real learning happens outside dental school. And and I think this was a starting point for it. So it gives it a good head start and good insight into what real life dentistry could be. And I think that's the taste which I wanted to bring from Matsa. And then there was obviously the advocacy point of view as well. Yeah, of course. And look, you raise a few really good points. I think, um, you know, first thing, what I'll say is I, I did not go and I wasn't very involved, believe it or not, in any of the um, um, associations when I was in dental school. And it's actually one of my regrets. And the reason for that is what kind of what you touched on, which is the exposure you get, the networking you get. I think the networking is really important as well, both for mentors, but also for colleagues in outside of your own immediate little groups um obviously for you uh, being the convener and um an organizer in the in working in a team as well um the skills you gain from that it's it's so wide reaching and so useful then in future for different things i'm sure you don't even know where that's going to come in in the future and it will if that makes sense so i'm sure you would recommend those kinds of things to the listeners i think definitely i think if you've got the opportunity not just the australian dental student association but even your local university dental student association or any other organizations during university where you can actually meet people, not just in your classrooms, but also outside classrooms and stuff, it definitely diversifies your experience. And I think that sort of experience takes you forward. And you never know which of these colleagues can be your future work colleague or could put in a good word for you or could be a mentor. You never know. And I think I've gained a few mentors from different different spheres. Some of them are not dentists. And some of them are from a different field whom I'm still in touch with. And if I've got a question about and I want a professional opinion in the sense like, oh, should I do this? Should I do that? I still call upon them. And I think um, and, it's, and it's been quite a rewarding experience for me. So I think that that's 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 primarily one of the reasons when I was involved. I think I just kept growing and, and learning. And I, I was one of those people who liked to outshine my previous potential. So that's why. <laughs> that's why you set the bar high each time, though. Oh, well, I did. And the thing is, I think um, there was pros and cons. The pros is, yes, I did enjoy what I did, but I think I'm too much of a yes man, and that's a con about me. I feel that I, I say yes to a lot of things and not too much of a no man. But I've learned that skill now that I actually mm. put say no. I said now I have to balance myself out and just do this a bit later. But I think you learn that with time. And I think uh, had that not happened in my life, I would never learn. So I think it's fantastic. It's an interesting thing you bring up, which is yes, man, and then like learning to say no. And it's like you hear it in like self-development um, context and it actually makes a lot of sense. You have to have the window of opportunity to learn something. And if you've said yes to a million other things, then you're not going to be able to do that That thing that really makes a difference. And it's gonna. Um, I'm going to touch on something I was going to talk about at the very end but you're also a father a uh, father of a, a, a three-year-old and um, I am also a father of a almost three-year-old and I have no idea how you fit it in so and people say the same to me how do you find the time to you know currently you're studying you're working you're your father you're involved in many other things how do you find the time I work with my wife's schedule I think both of us are the wheels of this car now I think we don't need to get flat and burnt out so the way we approach it is i know her schedule beforehand and she knows mine and we tend to work around our hours basically so given the fact that we 
send our son to JK in the morning and pick him up in the afternoon, we usually work out which days he's going to go to JK and other days when I'm not working or if she's not working, we, we basically have him home. So I think in that way, it's been fantastic. So um, I think parenthood is one of the most amazing things. And um, I think that that was my next phase in life post uh, finishing dentistry and working and whatnot. So I think um, balancing study with, with professional life and whatnot, um, I definitely tend to prioritize family over other things. So I think to get to get the good balance, I think you've got to work with your partner. And the way you approach it is obviously try and see how much time you're giving to family versus work and whatnot. So I came up with a formula and it was basically <laughs> um, the amount of time I'm spending in work. I've actually got to give two times more in a fortnight to my son and to my wife. And if, if that, if, if I can do that, I think um, I've, I've hit my goal, basically. Anything over that is a bonus. So I think I always try and double the effect of the amount of hours I'm working to my family so that it's, because I live with them. And yes, work is family, but I think um, my son needs my time. He's growing. So I think that that's where I, I, I draw the lines and whatnot. For example, even this morning, I was playing with him, and we did so many different activities. So it's a, yeah, it's amazing. And you can't get that time back. So it's like it's so critical, and we can easily get stuck in the weeds. I think COVID nineteen for many of us opened our eyes to the fact that we can work a little less and still survive. Uh, <laughs> I really enjoyed um, the shutdown, although now it's um, been a long time of continuing um, challenges for different people in different states. But you raise a good point about planning and and reflecting and thinking about it. Any advice for? Um, young parents either in dental school or just graduating i know that's a bit of a loose conversation but yeah any tips a lot of us you know this is the time where we do both i think best example would be my close friend kim henderson who actually was a mother of three and she was doing dentistry full-time and and she was acing dental school she was she was a gun and i think i took a page from her book and i think that was basically uh, when work is work it's fine. And then when you've got time to study, you study. And then you go home, you switch off, you do family stuff, basically. So I think always have a line drawn between personal and professional life. Um, and I think I, that's that's her message. And I think I've taken that home as well. I don't tend to take work home. So in that way, if I'm clean, fresh, I've got an activity before after my work, before coming home, that refreshes me. And that could be either go for a swim or go for a run to de-stress from work. And then, and then take fresh ideas home so that you can spend that you can spend time with your family with a clear head, and that's what she did. And uh, and and she got through dental school, and she she's going through work and whatnot. And the same thing applies to me as well. And I think that's the best way to do it is uh, try and section them off, and obviously prioritize them. So obviously, if you've got exams coming up, uh, you spend a bit more time on study. And I think the way you do it is not neglecting your family, just trying to work around them and their hours and stuff. And I think um, you can catch up on other stuff later. So prioritize and urgent things more importantly. So I think it's correct prioritization and drawing a fine line between the two, professional and personal. Yeah, I couldn't agree with all of the things you said there. That's exactly how uh, like I managed to do any of the things I do. And uh, <laughs> I'm definitely not nearly doing as much as you. So um, how many days are you doing clinical at the moment? Uh, five, four and a half, five. Um, but I think in the last month I've, jotted down to four and half a day on Wednesday depending um but yeah but the other half a day I'm studying as well so mm, yeah mm. all right well let's talk about that a bit because we're going to get into public versus private as well because you've got a bit of experience in both um but let's talk about education um you've 
basically been studying your whole life. <laughs> it doesn't look like you're slowing down. You might even be speeding up. Uh, currently, you're doing um, another master's. Tell us about what you've done since um, dentistry. So you're now a dentist. What have you done since then? So um, straight after dental school, I, f- I was so like towards the end of my dental school, I started a master of public health combined with a master of health management at the University of New South Wales. And that was purely because when I realized where my interests were, was was a public health approach and working out where the inequities are and trying to see the big picture. I thought, well, I've got the skill set on the grassroots level. From the macroscopic point of view, I need that overarching education. And I think public health was the way to go. And health management obviously goes hand in hand with public health. So I thought these were the two qualifications that I wanted to nail down. So I studied that. Uh, once I finished those, then I took up a graduate certificate of medical and health leadership from the University of Wollongong, which was last year. And and that was amazing because I, then I could actually nut down pieces of the puzzle and work out um, specifically in the area where I am in the Illawarra, you know, where there's a need and how I can contribute. And I think uh, understanding local leadership and local health concerns. And I think that qualification helped me with that. Um, combining the Master of Public Health and Master of Health Management and the Med Health Leadership I thought now that I've got an overarching view and now I know where I'm placed clinically, what what's the best way to translate this into policy and advocacy? Um, working with the Australian Dental Association, the New South Wales branch on the Advocacy and Professional Support Committee, I've appreciated and enjoyed the policies which we come up with or if you're reviewing a piece in terms of the news that's going to come out as well, trying to advocate for um, the dentists in Australia. At the same time, trying to put in a constructive word that, you know, that we are there to help you out in the sense that if you need any information, contact your local body and your local body is the Australian Dental Association. Felt the resource, basically. So I think um, advocating for the people and and done by the people, I think, um, I think I've enjoyed that. So I think, well, what do I do next, which can actually help me um, put the advocacy message out there a bit stronger from a dental perspective, an oral health perspective. And I think Master of Dental Public Health was the way to go at the University of Sydney. And um, that's a newer program, started this year, and um, I'm doing that part-time, which finishes next year. So, And that takes me to dental public health research and make, making me a dental public health specialist with that interest. <laughs> and do you, as you graduate from the dental um, public health um, masters, do you you'll become a specialist? Will you still practice? Yes, so I'll still do my general dentistry. Uh, my goals are to do general clinical dentistry and do dental public health um, on the side, in the sense that appreciating both uh, the non-clinical side of dentistry versus the clinical side of dentistry, um, trying to be the bridge between the grassroots level dentistry, which is in the mouth, to, versus the macroscopic overarching point of view, which is the dental public health. So trying to see both the sides. So if this policy is coming, how is it apply, How is it being applied at, at the grassroots level? So that was You keep of, in touch. You yeah. keep in touch here. Yeah. Because yeah. a lot of people I think I came across, and this is straight out of dental school where I was trying to find my feet, that most people don't know, oh, we don't know this policy existed. Oh, I'm not too sure what the, uh, why, why there's so many different fees, why do so, dentists charge so many different fees. So there's a lot of other stuff which people don't know, and there's a lot of gray areas. But when you actually know from an overarching point of view that, there's these policies out there. There's research already being done. Um, there's interdisciplinary connections. Um, also, with respect to the finance aspect of dentistry as well, there's a lot of help out there. I think um, dental public health approach is the way to go 
from my interest point of view. And I think um, combining clinical side with an overarching side is the best blend for me and with my interest. And I think those two qualifications that I did previously definitely helped me traverse into this direction. <laughs> yeah, well, th- that was my next question, actually. And this, it, th- I'm going to take it um, higher level a little bit. I'm thinking of the person who's graduated and they want to go and do um, a specialty or maybe they're not sure. Um, so you've gone down a path of stepping stones. Did you have to do those before, if that makes sense? Um, and as you just said, obviously they were useful to get you to where you are now. Like is that the path you'd take if you could redo the path of education? Um, if you Master Dental Public Health is a very new course, so there wasn't any criteria out there beforehand. And going many years back when I finished dental school certainly wasn't in existence. So what I did was obviously purely that's what I had available. The funny part is when I did apply for Master of Dental Public Health, they actually required you to have a Master of Public Health completed beforehand. And I was just lucky to have that basically. And and that's what worked in my favor. But at the same time, I had my previous experiences in both public dentistry sector and private dentistry sector and all the community-oriented stuff, which, would, which supplemented my dental public health interests with the, with the qualification as well. But the entry point was um, you need to have a dental degree, need to have experience from a dental public health point of view, and at the same time, a master of public health um, mm. for entry. Isn't, that, isn't it interesting how the stars almost aligned? Well, and they, then that co- the, you know, the, everything you'd already done. Well, they aligned, and it's the first year the course has been run. So I think it's definitely, it'll be interesting to see how it pans out. But so far, it's been good. It's been six months through, so fingers crossed. <laughs> <laughs> fantastic. Oh, I'm interested to hear when we get to the end of two years part-time. Is that correct? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, fantastic. All right, so you touched on something I want to touch on. Um, a lot of people out there listening are either students or graduates but have always thought about those public versus private kind of concepts um, of work. And um, you were doing quite a lot of public dentistry early on, um, correct me if I'm wrong, but at the same time, you're doing a little bit of private and um, also some dental van work. Um, tell us a bit about your early experiences as a dentist, particularly in um, Shepparton, and um, and compare and contrast maybe some of the public versus private experiences you've had. Certainly. So when I finished dental school on the Gold Coast, um, all of us were looking around for jobs, um, as you would be when you were trying to work out where next. And I thought, I want to challenge myself and go somewhere where no one knows me so that if I do make mistakes, I'll learn. And I have a good mentor there and I'm not being judged. And at the same time, if, I know, if no one knows me, I'll be pushed to the maximum to obviously build those community connections, which are very important to me because you are ultimately a part of a community. And what better way than going rural or regional uh, away from the rat race of the city where your focus will 100% be on clinical growth, learning, and getting mentored at the same time, doing things differently, which you would never expect. So I took up the job at Goulburn Valley Health um, in Shepparton, so two hours north of Melbourne. Um, to, I've never lived in Victoria, never been to this area, and I thought I'd change myself. Luckily, I got the job and I moved straight after my wedding and, um, and started a new life in Shepparton. Um, a lot of fun um, in the sense the community was amazing. So we, so my mentor, Dr. David Beale, and he was there. He's been, he was working there for about 30 years as a public health dentist uh, for the hospital, uh, which he has um, extended to a several, like two, like from I think a couple of chairs to now 12 chairs, including Melbourne Uni students coming as well. Um, given the fact that it's a main, one of the main regional centers of the area, 
we saw a lot of patients, um, not just from uh, rural and remote communities, but also refugees who were settled in the area. So we saw quite a, quite a mixed array of patients in that um, hospital. Given the fact that we didn't have any specialist access from a public health point of view, we were made to do cases of quite higher end and thrown into the deeper end. And um, we had teledentary services with Melbourne University as well, uh, Melbourne Dental Hospital as well, and connect, connections with Melbourne University as well. So I think that definitely helped as well. So I think um, from a procedure, clinical procedure point of view, did, did everything. And um, I think when you go into public initially, this is, again, my experience, um, you get better at picking up pain diagnosis and trying to work out what the patient's chief concerns are. And, in, and what the chief consent is at the moment in this appointment. So I think you learn quite quickly uh, because you're thrown into deeper end and there's obviously a huge wait list. You get to do a lot of different procedures as well. So I think you learn the basic bread butter of dentistry and uh, whether you enjoy it or not, you're actually forced to do a lot of different things which, you may, which may be out of comfort zone and, and you'll be surprised you end up liking them as well because you're like, oh, wow, this could be done as well. So did a bit of um, URA orthodontics and and there's, there's a lot of stuff. We did root canals over there as well. So I think it's just, obviously it's case dependent, but um, did different things. The hospital had a dental van as well. So what we did was we took the dental van to nursing homes, aged care centers. Um, the, there were therapists there who took it to the child care centers as well. And we uh, tried to provide oral health services to areas where access to dentistry would be quite difficult. We were also treating patients under general anesthesia. And that's what sort of, you know, blew my mind when I was seeing that a two-year-old girl had to lose six of her top teeth. And, and that was pretty sad. And, when I, and we always have a follow-up after general anesthesia appointment where like to discuss with the family what the post-op measures are and what the care should be. And I realized the parents were not caring for the child. They were saying, that's okay, we know this, we know that. So that sort of got to me. Then we had a 17-year-old girl for whom we pulled out like all her teeth, all her adult teeth, because they were not in the best um, oral hygiene state. So keeping that in mind, and given the fact that I'm removing teeth left, right, center, I said, I just, I just don't want to be the dentist who just pulls teeth out. Like, I want to do something more and address what, where the issue is at the base level. If I'm taking the van and going to HK centers and nursing homes, I can see that there's obviously a hygiene issue there as well in terms of management. It seems like Yes, we have all these services, but I think there's obviously an issue between translation of the information of the service to uh, the patients or the stakeholders in that sense. So w what is lacking? And I think the lacking part was dental health literacy or education. And we approached that and I collaborated with a local optometrist there and we came up with the project Shep Health, which was basically trying to educate people about health where your eye health matters, where your dental health matters, and how to identify what's wrong in your body at an earlier stage and which service to access when so that it doesn't get delayed. Because I feel that if you know what's wrong in your body, if you feel that there's something out of the ordinary, you won't wait for the problem to bottle up. You would actually approach the right service provider at the right time. And I think children were the best way to go because then they can take that to the parent and they will take ownership of their own health. And I think that was very constructive in that way. We did a presentation to um, TAFE students. We went to schools as well, and I think we promoted that idea quite constructively. And that had a very good impact. So I think from, from a clinical point of view, whilst I was appreciating my job as a graduate dentist at Golden Valley Health Hospital, 
doing all these things differently clinically, I think, um, yes, I learned a lot of skills, but I think there was more than those skills. And that was basically an understanding of the real issues underpinning those dental concerns which were coming through. And it was more so, more than just, oh, my tooth is decayed. There's obviously more to the story. And it's obviously um, accessibility, understanding of your own oral health or general health and, and also when to access. I think there was all these issues missing. So I think we thought we'd address it with that community project and the outcomes were quite rewarding. It's so inspiring to hear you talk about that. Clearly, that was the, your early experiences, your early job choice has inspired you down your path. You know, seeing those kids in such difficult situations and my heart always goes out when there's a kid with a challenging dental problem that is a preventable problem because it's not their fault and you know that really touches us as dentists and dental students we all have difficult days you may experience workplace or training demands that have a direct impact on your physical emotional and psychological health and well-being this is exactly what dental practitioner support is for It's a completely confidential and independently run service that's funded by the Dental Board of Australia in an effort to support practitioners and dental students right across the country. Sometimes people call just at the end of a long day to debrief, but sometimes they call because there's more challenging things going on. Dental practitioner support is there for you in these times to give proactive advice, help you improve your health and well-being before there are major concerns. We all need a helping hand sometimes, and it's okay to ask for help. So if you find you need it, call 1-800-377-700 or visit the website dpsupport.org.au. They have loads of great information to get you started. Um, I believe, and correct me if I'm wrong, but you were awarded the Community Leader um, of the Year Award um, in 2020. Does that relate to that work there? Yes. So I think that work got acknowledged um, in 2020 with the Community Leader of the Year Award. And I think um, the message got spread to other people as well doing similar stuff in the healthcare industry. So that was very, very rewarding and I think inspiring because I think um, I think it just made me appreciate the fact that what I'm doing is right and it's actually mm-hmm, making a difference. Mm-hmm. And people and, are seeing and it. And people are seeing yeah, it. It's yeah. really acknowledging it. And I think other people can then just take some sort of, you know, uh, experience from there and then translate that in their own communities because um, that Shepherd experience was quite rewarding. I took that forward and I thought, well, we decided to move to Sydney because my wife was expecting and I thought you need to be close to your family um, in in your initial days of uh, pregnancy and whatnot. So I thought, well, moving to Sydney, Sydney would be ideal, but I still don't want to work in Sydney, Sydney. I want to work regional. So I decided to work in DAPTO, uh, which is in regional New South Wales, Illawarra. And that was a private practice. The reason I didn't go public then was because – I didn't know when my wife was going to deliver and I wanted that flexibility in schedule. And when I spoke to the public health, uh, New South Wales Health, when the jobs which I had applied for, I think they wanted a firm answer and I couldn't give a firm answer as to when they'll deliver because I think it's call of nature. So I think the private practice which I went to, I negotiated with them that when my wife goes into labor, <laughs> I'll need to have this time off and um, I'll be starting a family. And they were quite accommodating. and. At the same time, I was 100% honest with them in terms of my interest that I said that I'm of a public health point of view. And yes, while dentistry is dentistry, be it public or private, skills are the same in both. Um, I think um, I want to do combination of both in this practice whilst working as a private dentist. And they said, that's fine. You run the show. It's a newer practice. The ball is in your court. 
pick it the way you want it. So I took on and and whilst we were seeing all these different patients and whatnot, we saw similar issues given the fact that it's a regional area and we had people traveling from two hours from outside town coming in, getting treatment done. And I said, well, this is similar to what I've done previously in Shepparton. And, and I think, well, whilst it's similar to the one, similar to the issues in Shepparton, well, there, there were some differences, but this time it was more so um, just the community was very fearful of going to the dentist because they found dentists quite expensive. So they were just leaving it and coming when they've only got pain. And I said, this mentality needs to change of tackling the problem when there's a problem. I think you brush your teeth every day because you want to keep clean. You don't brush your teeth when you feel there's something stuck in your mouth. So I think that notion and that idea needs to be removed. So I thought the way we approach it is simple. Um, I'm going to open the doors of the private practice to free consultations and free question answers and Basically, any questions you've got, you can ask the dentist and stuff, and then we can check out your mouth, give you, from our perspective, what the treatment plan is. You can, we can then refer you to the local public uh, health agency or the local community clinic if you want to go there. At the same time, answer all your questions without no cost. So this removes your cost barrier. This removes your fear barrier, which is what I previously addressed. And I think the community did take up on that. And with the project that we started in 2018, we took it forward where um, – the, one of my colleagues, uh, the main manager, said, well, why don't we run something called Project Smile? And I said, yeah, that's a good idea, where basically he said, we can do free treatment for one person. And then we ended up doing treatment for all the people, main people who applied. And it was to provide free dental care. And that's because we were seeing that there's a lot of people now, yes, who fall in between, like who are not eligible for public dental care, but cannot afford treatment at private so you've got the middle ground you know the middle man over there who basically may not be eligible so where does this middle population go and where do they access care so i think focusing on that we did the charity project there and that was really well rewarded because i feel um the treatment that we provided the patients definitely benefited from that and that was 100 percent free out of our pockets and and it spread the message of constructive um health management and and each person who came in basically got a treatment plan. And at the same time, those who we selected were based on genuine care who needed genuine help and treatment, uh, which were, and because of their medical health, they were suffering, their oral health was suffering. So I think that worked really well. One of the ladies who was the winner of Project Smile got back to us this year and actually made a statement on the phone saying that I'm actually now a social support worker because this has sort of inspired me and given me a new lease in life. And she said that it's changed her perception of how to give back to the people. I did my bit, obviously, because I enjoy this. Um, but I think um, she's doing her bit. And I think she took inspiration from this. So I think that made a positive impact, not just psychologically, but even functionally. So that, and that's good mm. to hear when you hear that. I love that. That's such a it's it's such a beautiful concept. But it's interesting, like, and I'm taking a bit of a um, almost a capitalist view on this. That would be in the end, you're helping people, but they're also talking about it. Like that's a win-win for everybody involved from private practice point of view. And so I I, I sometimes struggle to see um, or um, wonder why we don't see more of that. To be honest, I think when you think about it in Australia, eighty percent of practices or dentistry is privatized. 20% is public. So you see where the bulk of population is going for treatment. And if you see the amount of wait lists in New South Wales, if you take it as well, there's at least 100,000 people on the New South Wales public health wait list. In the Illawarra itself, it had crossed 6,000 from last stats that I'd read. So 
if there's a lot of people waiting and if you've got a small filling, that's becoming a hole in the person. And by the time your turn comes and you're losing a tooth, then you wait for another denture. I think the way I can address that problem is through my practice, basically. And the way I do it is obviously doing these free consults, free checkups, and at the same time, providing free treatment to where it's needed. I think, um, yes, it, stimul- it, it provides that word, the constructive word about dentistry that, you know, that there is no fear, no cost. At the same time, there's someone there to help you out. And it's not just me. There's other dentists who are doing that as well. But I feel that um, the, the, it's a ripple effect. You take that word out there and people are talking about it because I think oral health issues are not that widely spoken about. And, because, and that's because of different, different reasons. One of the reasons which one of the patients told me anecdotally was the fact that I feel embarrassed to talk about my mouth to people. So when you've got that perception, you don't share it with someone else. But I think in this case, when someone shares their own story saying, hey, I had a few teeth removed, but that got replaced with this. And now I'm eating all fine and I can speak fine. And I've got a new job because I'm confident in my own health, dental health. And my diet has changed. I've got a new career. I think you see that it's not just a story of one tooth, as you said earlier. It's actually the whole mouth. It's the whole body. And I think um, and if I can play a role in uniting the mind, body, and soul through my work, why not? And 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 I think it, it's 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 the way for future. I think where private practitioners can engage in stuff like this. Yeah, well, we have this this power to diagnose pain in the mouth and fix it. Like it's incredible, and that's a gift that we can give as well. You know, you can give money, you can give time, you can give your skills, and that's it's amazing. Um, it's very inspiring what you're talking about. Um, I want to just do like a lot of people think about private versus public and you've painted them both in wonderful picture. Um, you know, for you and your public experience, you had a wide ranging scope of practice that can sometimes be a slight limitation for some. Um, but then you paint, you know, you, you talk about private and you've got this flexibility as well. What other compare and contrast like differences um, and what's, where does your heart lie? I think I know the answer. <laughs> I, I think my heart lies in trying to merge private and public together and and that's how I've actually made the two different ends meet, which were quite difficult. But I think I've done it in a nice way where I, we see public patients as well. And we do these community-oriented approach projects where we actually at- attract those people who may not be able to afford. But at the same time, those, in a, those who can afford treatment, they can come to us as well or get referred elsewhere to the other clinics as well. From a private point of view, I think, yes, there are limitations in public dentistry in terms of depends on which state you work in. Um, be it in terms of procedures, some states won't allow you, some local health districts won't allow you to do a root canal. They won't, they'll have guidelines as like, nah, you can only do this procedure, that procedure. But I think you've got to weigh up what works best for you and where you see yourself in lifestyle. We had a public dentist who was working with us and he basically um, came to work with us then went back to public again. He said that he likes the um, 8 to 4 job and he likes to keep his skills channeled to this area. So I think that was his interest. And and, and he chose public dentistry. Um, stability is there. Um, income is stable. There's obviously growth potential in public as well, where you go up the ranks depending on different states. And uh, the pay increases as well. You get rural allowances when you go regional. So that's fantastic. From a private point of view, what who you see and what you see is how much you're going to earn. But keeping that equation in mind, you don't want to do too much too soon. You want to learn with time. And it depends on the demographic you're in. Now, the demographic I'm in obviously is uh, a mix. We see 
the high-end population. We see people who are obviously struggling as well. So I think with the skill mix that I've got, it's adequate at the moment. Obviously, if you're working in an urban practice in the city as well, where there may be a high focus on cosmetic dentistry, you can invest your time and money in that sort of aspect. But I think young adults, young dentists and children should focus, dental school people should focus their interests on what the need is of times and not just go out and just do all these courses out there which, uh, which will make them better. Because ultimately, if, you don't, if there's no return of investment, um, it, it's basically, yes, knowledge is knowledge and you've gained it. But I think you need to apply it fresh to obviously have that clinical ownership. Um, so I think the good thing about private is I can do different things clinically and I can branch out in terms of expanding my clinical horizons, be it um, learning about implants, which I'm doing on the side, um, all your spare time in in, in the spare time which I've got and it's a slow start um, and I feel that that's just because we've had a couple of patients have said that they wanted I said go to a specialist and no no they want me to do it I said that's fine I'll learn but I'm going to pick and choose my paces and grow so I think there's no limitation in terms of skill level so I think there's a difference between public and private where it may come down to in terms of what procedures you can do and learn Um, Given the fact that um, private dentistry, um, it, the hours can vary as well. And and with different seasons, uh, with different um, financial seasons, if I report it, given the fact that it's COVID-linked slash tax time-linked, I think it can go up and down and fluctuate as well. So it, it may not be always full depending on where you are. I mean, you may be full weeks in advance as well. It just depends on where you are. But I think um, public versus private, you will notice that difference as well. And and with private, I feel that there is that um, family dentistry kind of thing where I'm working, where you've got, you see the child, you see the mum, you see the dad. And you, so it's a community thing because I'm in a regional setting. So I think it invites other members to come as well. So I think um, word of mouth is pretty big in, in the private industry. Like this dentist is good or this dentist saw my daughter and she was quite happy. So I think it's one of those things where in public dentistry as well, yes, where the name would matter, but I feel that it you sort of are in a different industry altogether where um, you you may be working between two public health clinics. So consistency can be sometimes lost and depends on which location you're based in. I was in Shepparton, so I was consistently there, but I know a friend who was in New South Wales that he was he was moving between um, different clinics in Western Sydney. So he personally found that he didn't have any consistency there. So I think it just depends on where you're placed. Um, there's people out there far west whom I know in public dental clinics who have actually been in one clinic and have enjoyed as well, and their time has been fantastic, and the pay is really good as well. So I think it just depends on what suits your lifestyle. For me, I think the bottom line was I wanted flexibility with my new parenthood schedule, and and private offered me at that time, and I took it up, and they were happy with all the things that I wanted to do. And given the fact that um, that time when I had the public opportunity it they weren't i mean i was we couldn't come up to a conclusion in terms of how much time i'm going to get off um i think i chose private to have yeah, the flexibility makes so much sense at that time you raised a really good point there and i don't know if we've talked about this on the podcast very much but the consistency you get in um private general practice um is something that's actually one of the reasons i i liked um, general dentistry and won't specialize is because I do like the concept of seeing a patient through and seeing them for the recall and catching up about their trip and how you know their kid that's now not a kid anymore <laughs> um, and all those things I think that it's a beautiful component of the community aspect of a dental practice whether it's more private or perhaps regional public it might be a bit harder if you're in a few different places in the city in public um, 
I wanted to circle back to something. Uh, you talk a lot about public health. You're doing a master's of dental public health. Um, and you talked a little bit about the, you know, said the difference or bringing public into private or kind of merging in a way. What is your overarching goal from a policy point of view? Like what, what do you think about when you see the future of dentistry and what policy changes or things are you thinking would make a big difference? I feel from an overarching point of view, having a uniform, I think, dental care system for everyone so that everyone can access health at the right time and they don't have to wait too much. That's my ideal goal. Now, it is super realistic, but I think the way I approach it is with my way in the clinic is to do these different projects so I can reduce the burden in my area. But I think such similar initiatives, in if other private practitioners take on board, I think it can reduce the uh, waiting list in their area as well, whether they take on public patients or voucher patients or um, do initiatives such as this where you can you can target the middleman where who doesn't fit between um, the private dentistry side of things or the public dentistry side of things in terms of eligibility. So I think that would be my approach, that having a universal dental care system where everyone can access dental care and they don't have to wait too much. That's my ideal, that's my ideal goal. And that's frankly why, why I'm doing uh, the Master of Dental Public Health as well. Now, it'll be hard to achieve because I think demographics are quite different all around Australia. Every state is different. And I'm researching that at the moment as well, so it's quite eye-opening. But I feel that um, such small initiatives can definitely play a, big, play, play a big role in reducing the numbers. And I think the more people who take it on board, it can definitely reduce the, the load. And I think I'm realistic in that approach. Like, it's Absolutely. And it's, it's, a, it's a noble goal and it's something that I think is clearly – Australia has never been very good at that um, with our dental care. It's always been this um, – chasm in the middle where people fall through it's you know not actually the lowest socioeconomic because they actually qualify for dental public dental but you see a lot of patients who genuinely can't afford it but don't have a health care card um I, I really you know I, i'm looking forward to what i see you you know um implement over the years and and advocate for i think there's something you said with which is what you're currently doing i think is probably the biggest change that could happen is having a lot more dentists doing um their little bit in their community and and bridging that gap like you said i think that's very inspiring um i just want to quickly touch we're going to get some of your pieces of advice and different things but i want to quickly touch on um you know some of the awards and and you know you've got a whole like there's a list of awards i'm not even going to read them out but (laughs) um so many different things what have these awards given you? For instance, um, Community Leader of the Year Award in 2020, um, Australian um, Australia Post um, Pride of Australia Award, um, the Australia Day Outstanding Achievement Award with Wollongong Council, all these different things. Have that opened doors um, or have they motivated you? What, what have you got back from these awards? I think it cre- it's, created def- it's created an opportunity and I feel that um, I don't see an award as a competition or um, as like, oh my gosh, I've got something. It's basically, I see it as an inspiration that I can actually do other things and I, it's opened doors to other avenues. And and with the Wollongong one, for example, it spread the word of the word, of the work that I'm doing and then more people came on board as well and tried to support the projects. And then we had uh, constructive words sent in the community where a lot of people uh, were actually going to their respected dentists as well. So it actually spread the message across. So it had the ripple effect. Um with the Pride of Australia as well, I think it went on to um, the Daily Telegraph and the information went um, nationally, which was really, really good. And I think 
people from interstate contacted me as well. And one of my colleagues who was working in Queensland in in Cairns from in, in public health, she said we got to do another project with respect to the Indigenous youth. So I think that was really good as well. So I think there was collaborative opportunities which are popping up as well. So I think given the fact that I like inter- interprofessional collaboration in healthcare to generate an outcome, I think it was really good. So it opened more doors for me. And I think, um, and, 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 and frankly speaking, when, when I got these awards, I was very happy that at least the word is out there. It's in the news, it's in the media, it's in the face of people. And, and it's, it's not just simple dentistry. It's actually everyone's dentistry. And it's, it's basically everyone can appreciate it from um, their lounge rooms where they can see that, you know, that something small in dentistry can actually have a big impact. So why not speak to your dentist as a starting point? As simple as that. So I think, I think it definitely provided a constructive word. It advocated a message that um, shouldn't be scared of your dentist. Just ask, ask whenever there's a problem so that the target can be advised at a very early level. It's exactly, it, it supports your message. It getting, you know, things like awards, it's really just, it's pub, um, publicity and publicity is the way to get these messages forward. The thing is, we mentioned before about, you know, involvement in dental school, you know, you were very involved in the associations. I literally, in my undergraduate, only went to what I had to go to, <laughs> literally. And then in dental school, I was a little bit better. I went to about half of the uh, lectures. So, I was not very good at that early on. And now, and this podcast has shown me that, um, you know, it's your... It's it's your personal brand in a way that actually allows you to have influence. So you can write wonderful story, um, wonderful policy and different things, but to get the um, engagement of the stakeholders that you need, you have to have influence. You have to be able to um, show that you've been working at this for so long. All these things are going to come together for you and allow you to make the bigger changes. And in a way, what I'm trying to say is if someone's out there and they want to make a change, I think it, it does start with that kind of thing as well, um, like getting yourself out there a little bit and being a, a little bit more public even though you might not want that. From these uh, awards, I'm interested because it, like literally over the years I've seen you just, you know, racking them up. It's very impressive and it just and it shows me now what you've been doing in the background, which I wasn't aware of. How do how did this all come about? Were you nominated for these things? So sometimes I didn't know who nominated me. One time someone actually indirectly called me and told me that they've nominated me. And I said, okay. So generally speaking, it's usually um, it's usually anonymous most of the time. So I don't know who it is, but I suspect I've got my guesses now, like who it could be. Um, because I think once when I received an award, they mentioned that I did this stuff with um, – an organization I was like only very few people know so I could I could live <laughs> narrows it down it. yeah it narrows it down and I think the fact that there is that appreciation that acknowledgement I think it just drives me further and and when when your own university recognizes you when your other universities recognize you where the community recognizes you I think what more do you want where the where they're actually being the channel mediums to translate the message across pretty much so I think these awards actually show that and I think it's spread if it's if it spread across to a, uh, to a larger audience and that makes me happy. And the idea is with all these awards and not just these awards, but even the work that I do, it's, it's to tell future dentists and young dentists that you don't have to be part of an organization or you don't have to um, like draw, start an organization to actually run the show. You can do it from your own setting in your clinic. You can actually do something small and it can have a bigger impact. That's how I started it. Because I thought, well, I'm going to carve my own future. And the way I'm going to do it is I want to do it this way. And hopefully I get collaborators and supporters. I did. 
and then I started it and then just extended it, extended it slowly, slowly, added new tools to it. And then here we are now doing different things. Um, I thought that we were having a lot of people traveling to Dapto to see me about different questions and concerns. I thought, well, why not take it a step forward? So I rang the Royal Flying Doctor Service and I said, um, these are my interests. I know that you would look, you would want someone who would want you'd want them to get employed, but I want to do I want to do volunteer dental officer job, if you have any, and I can do only one week at a time because that's my wife's roster. <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> so I can balance it out, and the week she has off before her night shifts, she's got one week off. That's the week I can do. So based on her roster, I can do it, and then they said that's a very good opportunity, and they had me on board, and I do that once in three four months, depending. Um, fly to Dubbo and from Dubbo we fly to other communities and and I do dental work with them. Tell us about a day with the Royal Flying Doctors. A lot of fun. Uh, wake up in the morning, get to the base, Dubbo base at 7 a.m. Um, and then you board the flight and, for example, that specific day if we are going to a correctional, uh, like we have been to a correctional centre as well, but I think that let's say we're going to a town such as Burke, we fly to Burke and we uh, do dentistry at the Aboriginal Medical Service over there. And that's amazing because it brings out the population. They know that the dentist is coming this specific day, and you do it. Um, and I think once the community has trust in you and the work you do, and then and the fact that there's someone who genuinely cares and shows in your work and your approach and whatnot, I think they will, there'll be less FTAs, there'll be less fail to attend appointments, and the community is going to grasp more and more in terms of these dentist, dentist visits. So the books are definitely, definitely better and have improved over time as well. And it's not just because of me, but it's the whole organization, Royal Flying Doctor Service. I think they try and cater to different, different areas. Um, they have a dental van. So we've taken the dental van into the prison as well and done some prison dentistry. So that's opened my eyes to different things. And um, then there was obvious, then we've gone to another town called Guduga, which is quite far north, northwest, and towards Queensland border. And I think um, there was one dental visit a month from what I had seen previously. So for me, I think it took me back to my Shepparton days where I thought, hang on, if you're in pain, you've got to wait a month to see a dentist. And some of them may not have a vehicle to travel to the nearest town, and where and in the nearest town may not even have a dentist. So I think you may have to drive down as far as Dubbo, for example, for treatment or elsewhere. So I think having that sort of pain for a month and then driving down to a town, I think it just goes on to show that how much scarce density is uh, dentistry is in terms of um, far outback and regional areas. So I think with my approach, having to volunteer my time, I think it's not just that I've given dentistry, but I've also learned from these experiences that, that that's where the need is. And that's where, you know, if I can provide my skill, because I'm not a rich man. I'm rich with my skills. So I can definitely provide that richness <laughs> in dentistry. So I was like, I'm definitely going to volunteer my time. And it's it's not a full-on commitment. It's actually whenever I've got time. So I think that's worked very well with my schedule. And they're quite appreciative. They're quite respectable of that. So it's fantastic. That's awesome. Uh, I think one of the most inspiring parts of your journey and where you're going with your journey, obviously with dental public health in particular, is that you're so involved in these 
in different areas of the community. You understand dentistry all around Australia. Um, and I think that is something that's going to allow you to have the biggest impact. I want We're going to start wrapping things up a little bit. I want you to think about someone who's um, inspired by what you've been doing within the communities um, and perhaps from the dental public health or public health in general point of view. Do you have any advice for someone who is thinking about going down the path of policy, advocacy, um, involvement in any of those associations? And- Definitely. I think um, if you're in dental school, um, talk have, talk to your lecturers. They are the best starting points and the best free resource you'll ever have for any clinical tips. Yeah, you pay many thousands of dollars for these people when you graduate. <laughs> exactly. So I think, I think the best mentors you'll ever have will be from your dental school because they know you through and thorough. So I think have that contact already installed and I still call my lecturers for different clinical tips and tricks and I'm like, I've done this and whatnot, what do you think? And I think it's fantastic. Um, I've collaborated with a lot of specialists around the place which I work. So I think have a team of dentists around you, uh, someone who's senior than you and someone who can mentor you if you are struggling with this for clinical opinion because bouncing back ideas definitely helps and there's no right or wrong answer. It's basically what works best for the patient because it's a patient-centered approach. So keeping that in mind. Now, with all those things that I've said in terms of people and whatnot, try and look for opportunities in terms of um, getting involved. Now, if there's an organization, um, join it if you can at, at the student level because you'll meet a lot of people, a lot of seniors and a lot of um, cross-university lecturers and um, state body dental associations such as ADA New South Wales where they have different speakers and whatnot. And you learn a lot because some, sometimes they may even invite you like, hey, can I shadow you for something and you can go and shadow them as well. So I think there's, I mean, it's, it's a very good opportunity. Yes, there may be the clinical side in terms of dentistry that they may be talking about, but they may have another side and that's basically uh, involved with um, the state body or another health healthcare practitioner body where they can actually be, they'll be doing more work than just clinical dentistry and that would be policy advocacy and whatnot. So it's a good opportunity to branch out. And I think it starts from dental school. Um, if you're not in dental school, if you're actually graduated, I think first point would be to join your state dental association because I think that's very good. There's a lot of opportunity and a lot of aven- and a lot of different avenues to connect with uh, younger dentists, older dentists, and dentists who are doing a lot of policy and advocacy research work. Uh, the website is a wealth of resource. There's a lot of information out there as well, um, and the magazine always brings out a lot of opportunity as well to get involved. So I think that'd be a good starting point as well. Um, if you're looking at going into the community side of things, um, the ADA has a list of different community service initiative ideas and organizations that you can volunteer with if you want to go in that direction. Or you can contact the ADA and they can put you in with the right person in charge who can help you um, channel um, your own community project if you want to. And they may provide you networks or uh, hints in terms of you can contact this person who would be interested. So I think there's different avenues out there. But I think the... You, you, as I said earlier, you don't have to join, you don't have to start an organization. You can actually do it from your own clinic. But I think having that support system definitely helps because if you want to brainstorm and branch out and try different ideas, having another person's ideas definitely is quite constructive. So I think it's, it's, a, it's a teamwork thing. It's like building anything though. Also, it's accountability. It's the support of the network. It's There's so many different levels and the ADA obviously is the key uh, foundation of all of that in, in dentistry. Um, 
It, this this last question I always ask it, and it is a little bit like the one that was just before, but I want you to actually think about the people who are about to graduate in a couple of months' time. They've had a bit of a tough <laughs> couple of last couple of years through dental school with COVID-19. Um, what is the one piece of advice you could give a graduate, specifically if you could talk to every graduate and give them one piece of advice? It can be anything to do with advocacy, through clinical skills, through just mental health. Um, what piece of advice would you give to those people? I would say no knowledge is waste. Um, always keep in touch with your lecturers from dental school. Um, and I think three words, which I always follow, empower, enrich, enlighten. So you empower, empower yourself with knowledge from dental school. You enrich the ideas of the community you're working in so that you've got an understanding of how the skills that you've learned in dental school can translate. And enlighten. Translate the message, the dental health message across to the community. You're not just a dentist. You're not just a dental surgeon. You're an oral physician as well because your idea, you, and if you've got that understanding of a physician where you're actually doing both, the surgery in the mouth and at the same time translating a good message, how to maintain your general dental health, how to have a good diet, how to actually engage in healthy living, which also includes your mouth, I think it, it'll go mild. So empower, enrich, and enlighten. That'd be, that's what I would leave you with. I absolutely love that and it's been my absolute pleasure to be able to explore your your path so far and I'm so excited to see your path in the future. Um, Mahir, thank you for joining us on the Dental Head Start podcast. Thanks, David. Certainly my honour and, thank, and thanks for your time, honestly. It means a lot. Do you want to add orthodontics to your general practice? So many patients today are looking for aesthetic outcomes and and changes, things that we can do with things like aligners and fixed braces that can put the teeth where they need to be so we can be more minimal in what we do to those teeth. I know it's something I wanted to learn and personally, I've gone down the path with OrthoEd doing the mini masters. I'm also getting treatment myself. I'm in aligners right now. If you're ready to go all in with orthodontics, you can go and do the mini masters with OrthoEd and Dr. Jeff Hall, and at the end, you can get a postgraduate diploma. But if you're starting off with smaller steps, they even have some online education, including aligners and aligner courses that are standalone. In the COVID environment we're currently in, these courses have remained live and we can then go and do them in person later on. I really appreciate the way they've managed that and I'm still getting tons of value. OrthoEd gives you an understanding from the foundational level. You understand aligners as well as fixed braces, the mechanics and all the things in between. If you're about to start your orthodontic journey, check out dentalheadstart.com slash orthoed to get 10% off their entire range. You might even run into me at one of the courses. Thank you so much for listening to the Dental Head Start podcast. I genuinely hope this is helping you become a better dentist. So if you like what you're hearing, make sure you subscribe on your podcast player and I want you to do me a favor. I want you to go to social media and share something that you've appreciated from us with one of your friends. That's how the word gets out. That's how more people gain and benefit from what we're doing. And if you're a dental student or a graduate and you want to get a head start, go to dentalheadstart.com start to find everything we're doing to help dental students become great dentists.